All right, well, hopefully by now you're in Acts 13, but now that you're there, I'm going to read a verse out of Matthew. So uh, Matthew 19.26 to start out. It's going to be up on the screen anyway here. So Matthew 19.26 says this, and it says, But Jesus beheld them and said unto them, With men this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. And it says that several times over and over in the scripture that with God things are possible. We'll look at another one at the end of the service tonight, but I just kind of wanted to open with that. You know, I've been thinking about with Pastor uh, being over in, in Dubai and, and having COVID and, and just what he's going through. It's, it's hard enough in the States when you have to quarantine, you've got COVID and, of course, the seriousness of his COVID. But, you know, you think about we, we're depending on God. We know he, he answers prayer. We know he hears us. And we have the privilege of lifting, uh, you know, lifting Pastor up. And um, I talked to Pastor briefly for maybe like a minute two days ago. I think it was two days ago now. It was either yesterday or the day before. And he told me that day, he said, for the first time he felt like the, the treatment they were giving him was starting to work. And so I just praise God that all these little things that God has worked out um, for Pastor. And so tonight I thought it'd be neat to see another impossible situation that God was able to work in in a way that the two men that were involved with, in it would have probably not seen the way God was going to work in this. Uh, the Holy Spirit definitely is working in them. But it's Paul and Barnabas when they go on their first missionary journey. journey. And let's get right into the first one. First point is just called missionary journey. And let's get right into um, Acts chapter 13, verses um, 1 through 5. We'll go verse by verse, though, here. In verse 1, it says, now there, there were in the church that was at Antioch certain prophets and teachers as Barnabas and Simeon that was called Niger and Lucius of Cyrene and Manan which had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch and Saul. Verse 2 says, As they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Ghost said, Separate me Barnabas and Saul for the work whereunto I have called them. And in verse 2 there, it talks about that word separate. I don't know if you remember the, the, in the message I gave Sunday and before, we talked about um, us uh, Christians being set apart for a, for a holy purpose. And when they talk about separating them here for the work, um, the commentary uh, in my Bible mentioned this, that Paul was separated three different times. One was at his birth, and uh, they quote Galatians 1.15 for that. Then at his conversion, which... Mike talked about his conversion a little bit uh, a couple Sundays ago. He was talking about Paul's conversion there. And then here, where he's, uh, where for his missionary things. But you talk about Barnabas and Saul being separated. They already, obviously, are Christians. They're already serving in their church, but God has chosen them to be missionaries. And we know that Paul, in particular, was to give the gospel to not just to the Jews, but he was also to give it to the Gentiles. And so... Um, it's just very interesting all the, the way God works in his life. And if you go to, uh, we have a verse that's going to come up here, Romans 1.1. 1, 1, and it's, it mentions, when it starts the book of Romans, this is what it says about Paul. It says, Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle. And again, this word here, separated unto the gospel of God. See, Paul's had a special calling on his life. And we all do as Christians. We're, we're to give the gospel out and so forth. But Paul had a definite calling, and the Holy Spirit led him different places to, to, to uh, give the gospel. And, uh, of course, Barnabas was with him sometimes, and um, 
when, and you look at, when you look at these things and you, you talk about them being separated for what? For the work of God. Then verse 3 says, when they had fasted and prayed, it says they laid their hands on them and they sent them away. I don't know how many of you were here the Sunday that, the Sunday that we ordained uh, Phil Nieder. I don't know if you were here that day. We had the deacons come up and some of the men of our church. Uh, Pastor Smith was here, some different ones. And uh, we, we, had, uh, we had Phil here and we, laid, we, we laid all laid our hands on him and we all took turns praying for him. And really that was to separate him for the work he's going to be doing as pastoring in the church in Michigan. But see, uh, there's times in the ministry where you lay hands on people and you pray for them. And you, just a special anointing. Uh, God's anointing on them for different reasons. And, you know, we do that for healing. Uh, you know, in this case, we can't be in the room with pastor. We can't lay hands on him and heal him. But I remember very clearly when, when uh, Becky went through her cancer, there was a time at City of Hope where uh, the deacons and a couple people we met in, at City of Hope at the hospital, and we, we, had, we were in the chapel, and we actually, different people to, came up and took turns putting their putting their hand on Becky and Pastor, and then praying for both of them. And, um, you know, we, we did those things. And um, there's times when that's called for, when we need to do those things, to, uh, just an extra, asking God for an extra uh, anointing or an e extra um, attention, I guess you'd say, as well. Um, and then it goes on in verse 4 to say, So they, being sent forth by the Holy Ghost, departed unto Seleucia, and from thence they sailed to Cyprus. Verse 5 says, And when they were at Salamis, they preached the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews, and they had also John to their minister. So not only was uh, uh, Saul and, or Paul and Barnabas there, but you have um, John there as well. Um, I used to say that, you know, I used to teach this actually wrong about Saul and Paul. I used to say that he was called Saul before he was saved, and then he was called Paul after. But really the case is, and I think a couple people have clarified it, I think Mike clarified it when he preached, but Saul was the Jewish name and Paul was the Roman or Gentile name. So um, Paul used his Gentile name because he was speaking to the Gentiles. So I was, always, I was off on that when I used to teach that. And so, uh, you know, after studying and looking at it, then you, you realize, okay, that's, that's why the name interchanges and you see Saul and Paul. Of course, later in the New Testament, it's almost all, you always see Paul. I mean, just about always you see the word Paul rather than Saul, but at, at the early part, you see both, both names. And so, I uh, just wanted to clear that up uh, for, for my sakes more than anything. But as we think about this, okay, so the Holy it says in those verses that the Holy Ghost was, was the one that sent them. You know, there was people in the church that laid hands on them and, and prayed for them and sent them into the work, but the Holy Ghost is really what led them to go. Um, I remember uh, years ago when I was working a secular job, and I remember wanting to be in the ministry full-time. And I remember, I remember asking the, just about every, I asked the pastor, I asked about just about every man of God that I came in contact with. I just said, hey, I really feel like God's leading me into full-time service, but I don't know what that, where or what, you know. And uh, I remember them saying, just be faithful where you're at. God's going to open the door at the right place and the right time. A long time ago when I went to Bible college, I actually went to be a pastor. And I went, uh, I felt that's what God was calling to, me to do. But then when I went to Bible college, 
God showed me very clearly that that was not what he had for me, but he didn't show me the rest of the picture. So I didn't know, you know, what my, what, what he was going to use, where he was going to use me. And, uh, but I just remember being waiting on, but you know, if you're like me, anything we do in our life, we want to, if I'm doing it for the Lord, I want to make sure he's calling me to do it. And I'm not trying to do something that he's not called me to do. Um, you know, I mentioned all the time as a joke, I, you wouldn't want to hear me sing a solo tonight. Uh, you wouldn't want me to sing a special or even a duet unless the other person was just incredibly talented and could drown out my voice. Uh, but, you know, you just, there's, there's things I know I'm not, even if I wanted to be a great singer and I wanted to do it, I know that's not my talent. God hasn't given me that talent. And so we don't want to force things, but the Holy Spirit here has sent them um, to this place at this specific time for a reason. But one thing you notice, Jesus and the disciples, they tried to preach to both the Jew and the Gentiles. They went to the Jew first, and if you saw here in verse 5, they preached the word of God in the synagogues first. Now remember, when you go to the synagogue and you're preaching, the people there believe in your Jehovah God, but they don't believe that Jesus Christ was the Son of God or the Messiah. So, um, but they always went to the synagogues first, trying to reach the, the, the people that were there, but then they would go to other people as well. They would go usually to, to the Gentiles and different things. And so we just see that they're calling here by the Holy Spirit and they're sent to this place to go. So let's look at um, the second point tonight. A second point is they encounter a problem. If you've been in the church at all very long or you've been in a, a Christian very long at all, you have faced some problems. And some of them are similar problems that everybody has. Saved and unsaved have problems with their health. You know, saved and unsaved have uh, problems with finances. Um, you know, you could just go on and on. People have the same, similar problems. But as a, as a Christian, when you're trying to do the work of God, you always have opposition. You know, when I preached Sunday, I talked about um, that the, the different, some of the opposition that, 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 that they faced. And Christ told them, they're gonna, he said that they're going to hate you, the world's going to hate you, because you love me and you, you're teaching my saying. So, you know, a lot of times we get our feelings hurt because somebody gets upset at us when we share the gospel or we try to talk to them about God. But they're, they are rejecting us, but, oh, sorry, Mark. <laughs> they are rejecting us, but um, more they're rejecting Christ. They don't want to hear about the things of God. And you know what? You and I might, may have been that way before we were saved. While Satan still had his blinders on us, we may not have wanted to hear about it. And uh, so, uh, anyway, as you look at this in verse, um, let's look at the problem here in verse 6 here. We'll start there. It says, And when they had gone through the island of Paphos, they found a certain sorcerer, a false prophet, a Jew whose name was Bar-Jesus. Now, when you look at that, sorcerer just means exactly what we would think of a sorcerer today that's trying to be in the what we would consider the dark arts, that kind of stuff. He's a false prophet. That means he's trying to be a prophet, but he's not speaking truth. He's speaking false things. And then it says, they call his name Bar-Jesus, and then we're not going to verse 8 yet, but in, in verse 8, they call him Elemus, the sorcerer as well. So he's got two names in here. He's got Bar-Jesus and he's got Elemus. They're both the same person, and they're both this character that's going to cause Paul and Barnabas the problem that they're going to encounter. And, and in verse 7, they talk about this false prophet, he says, he, which was with the deputy of the country. That would be um, the person that's on the pro-council. Um, Cyprus here, where he, they were at, was a Roman senatorial province, like where senators would be and stuff. 
And so this, this deputy that they run into, the deputy of the country, his name is Sergius Paulus, it says he's a prudent man who called for Barnabas and Saul, and he desired to hear the word of God. So in other words, he had heard about them and heard about them preaching Christ and so on, and so he really sincerely desired to hear more of the gospel and to hear more of what they had to say on this matter. Um, and so he's desiring to hear it. And now verse 8 is where the problem begins. Verse 8 starts with that, the conjunction, the word but, B-U-T. Okay, so it says, but Elimus the sorcerer, again, that's the same as Bar-Jesus, for so is his name by interpretation withstood them, seeking to turn the de- away the deputy from the faith. What was he purposely trying to do? He was trying to stop that man from hearing the gospel, hearing the good news. Um, have you ever tried to witness to somebody and somebody else got in the way of that? Um, for example, you may be talking to somebody about the Lord and then, and then somebody comes up and interrupts, and they're not always completely have the evil intentions that this man had, but they, they, they interrupted. Or sometimes the person you're witnessing to is actually the one that becomes that person. Like they'll ask, they'll get, they'll ask you questions to get you off topic of salvation or off topic of things. But it, it's, a, it's annoying to say the least because you're trying to get the gospel to them and there's interruptions. I don't know if you've ever been in a church service where there's been an interruption by somebody in the audience. Uh, not a good interruption. You know, not somebody saying amen or something like that, but like somebody actually trying to say something. I've been in a couple of those in my life where somebody uh, that was, you know, for whatever reason they came into church that day, but they said something audibly against what was being said in the church. And, and it was just, it's just very disrupting and it, and it disrupts the, it disrupts what's being said. And it's, that's, it, you know, I, Satan puts those people there to disrupt things because he doesn't want the gospel to go out when we're sharing the word of God. And, you know, even us, think about it yourself when the service like this, your mind wonders, doesn't it? And I'm not saying that's the devil always making your mind wonder. Your mind just tends to do that. Mind does the same thing. Um, but, you know, you think about some other things and you come back and you go, oh, what point were they trying to make there? What was the verse? I missed the verse, you know, but there can be distractions. But this person's going to the point, he says he's actually seeking. In verse 8, he's actively seeking to uh, stop the deputy from hearing the faith or turning to the faith. And so I would call that pretty evil intention. So that's a big problem to have. And um, if you, we're going to go here to another verse, and it's in 2 Timothy 3.8. And this is a, this is a reproof of, uh, uh, in the Bible here to, to people, and it says, No, as Janus and Jambres withstood Moses, in other words, they gave Moses a hard time, and it says, so do these also resist the truth. Men of corrupt minds reprobate concerning the faith. See, these are, this, is, this is what the Bible says about somebody that resists the truth. But there's people that purposely resist the truth. See, before you're saved, you may resist the truth just because Satan's kind of got those blinders on you and the Holy Spirit hasn't worked on you yet. But there are people that purposely are out there to destroy truth. And don't we see that in our country today? Not, not even just with religious things. I'm talking about secular things too. But they're purposely out there. And he says, men of corrupt minds. That means Satan's got their mind all twisted up. And then it says reprobate. I was looking up retrobate, uh, the definition of it. Reprobate, I'm sorry, I think I said it wrong. <laughs> my, at this time of night, my, my tongue is working overtime to trip me up. But 
um, a reprobate, it, it mentioned that they don't even have a, con in a biblical form, they don't even have a conscience that's telling them that it's wrong. You know, they're just blinded to the fact. You think of, well, in fact, think of Paul himself. Think of where he was at before God met him on the road to Damascus. He was purposely trying to stop the way. Remember Mike talked about the way? He was purposely trying to stop the way from getting the word of Christ out. And again, he thought he was doing it for God, for, glory, for Jehovah God, because he thought they were blasphemous calling Jesus Christ the Messiah until on the road to Damascus he figured out that Jesus was the Messiah, became born again, and then just did a complete uh, 180 and uh, started living for the Lord. And remember the disciples were still, uh, people were still afraid of him. The Christians were thinking, this is a trick. Paul couldn't really get saved. You know, think about the maniac at Gadara. You know, they tried to chain him. He kept breaking the chains. Half the time he was running around naked and all that stuff. And they came, remember when Jesus got a hold of his heart? They found him fully clothed sitting at the feet of Jesus. See, with men it's impossible. With Christ, all things are possible. So, you see this sorcerer getting involved in trying to keep the deputy from the truth. So I want you to see how in tune Saul is, Paul, Paul or Saul, with the Holy Spirit here. Look, uh, let's look at point number three, where God does the impossible here. God does the impossible. So look at verse nine here. It says, Then Saul, who is also called Paul, filled with the Holy Ghost, set his eyes on him. You ever, you ever had somebody just... They're upset about something and they're just looking at you right in the face. I mean, like, it's just like, sometimes they get right in your face, right? I mean, they get like right there and you're just like, I need a little space. You know, but they're just like right there and you know they mean business. Um, you know, I did this with one of the kids at our school. Uh, the other day they were in the hallway and they were just acting completely wrong. They're making all this noise, running. And I, no matter what I said to him, he wouldn't listen to me. So finally I got down, he's about this tall. I got right down in his face and I said, look, and I, I raised my voice and got stern. I said, look, I'm being serious right now. And you know what? The minute I did that and made eye contact with him, he stood up against that wall and listened to what I had to say. But you know what? It, it was necessary. Usually I just give a kind, you know, hey, don't forget, don't run in the hall, don't forget, no talking in the hall. But, but, but he just continued to push the buttons, push the buttons. And finally I said, I had to look him, I, I made sure I made eye contact. I looked him right in the eye, got down on his level and I said, you need to listen to me right now. And you know what, that doesn't always work, but you know, it did that day, and he stood up, you know. Now, five minutes later, he was probably running down the hall, Teresa was probably chasing him down the hall down there, but you know, but for that moment, he paid attention. But see, this, this Saul sets his eyes on, on, on there, and he's filled with the Holy Ghost. Uh, you kind of ever heard of somebody saying a righteous indignation or something like that? Uh, the Bible talks about uh, uh, where you can have kind of a holy anger where you're not sinning, the anger's not wrong because you're standing up for what's right. You know, angry that somebody would, would do something that, you know, like that. So he looks right on him, and, and he doesn't pull, he doesn't butter-coated, sugar-coated, any of those kind of things. Uh, look what he says here in verse 10. He says, and he said, and he's talking to, to, to uh, Bar-Jesus here, or uh, Elimus, whichever name you want to use for the sorcery. He says, O full, full of all subility and all mischief, thou child of the devil. That's pretty clear, isn't it? Somebody calls you the child of the devil. I don't, you know, I don't think you take that as a compliment. <laughs> you know, it's like, oh man, you know, um, you know, um, thou enemy of all righteousness. Remember, righteousness is just a fancy word for what's right. He says, he says, you're an enemy of what's right. 
And what's, what do we consider what's right? Anything that God says in his word, we consider that to be what's right. And he says, wilt thou not cease to pervert the right ways of the Lord? In other words, he says, you know, it's, you know, it's kind of like this, I picture it. Okay, Bar-Jesus, Elimus, whatever, you, you don't want to hear this. That's one, that's one issue. But when you're causing somebody else not to hear it, you're evil. And you're a child of the devil. And so, you know, if you've ever taught a, in a kid's Sunday school class or in junior church or in school, just a normal teaching, you always have one kid that's trying to distract another kid or as many kids as they can. And when that happens in a, in a church setting or when the truth's being taught, whether it be children or whether it be adults, that person that's doing that is distracting, you know. Uh, this was in my early days before I was even saved, but when I went to, used to go to church with my friend, his, my mom worked often on Sundays, so I would go with another friend and his mom. Every Sunday, without fail, she ended up having to sit between us in the service because we weren't paying attention, we're goofing around, and, you know, we, we, we just, you know, we were just doing it, and, and, and I remember her just getting so upset with us. She'd just look at us, and then we knew we were in trouble, because I knew I was going to be in trouble, because she'd tell my mom how I acted in church. So I, I didn't behave, so th- my friend's mom would tell my mom that. And then I, you know, after a while you know better, because you know what mom's going to do to you, you know. So then we, we got better after a period of time. Um, but, you know, he says, are you not going to cease or stop to pervert the right ways of the Lord? And verse 11, this is what happens. This is where God steps in and performs the miracle. Remember, Paul could not do this without the Holy Spirit. Look what it says in verse 11. And now behold, the hand of the Lord is upon thee, and thou shalt be blind, not seeing the sun for a season. Now, do you kind of get the irony in here? Paul was made blind so he'd pay attention to the Lord and get saved, right? On the road to Damascus, right after he got saved, you know, he was blinded for a period. And now the person that was made blind and can now see the truth, he's causing another person to be blind. Now he's not doing it. The Holy Spirit's doing it through him. But he causes that sorcerer to be blind, not seeing the sun for a season. And it says immediately, it didn't say there was any delay at all. It says immediately there fell on him a mist and a darkness and he went about seeking someone to lead him by the hand. I mean, imagine seeing one second and then not seeing the next. That'd be pretty frightening, right? I mean, I remember when I lost my eyesight in this right eye. Four days I lost my eyesight. One day I could see perfectly clear, and then in four days I went completely blind in one eye. And I had no idea why. And I remember thinking, oh man, you know, am I going to get that back? And then you're thinking, what happened in that eye? Is it going to happen in the other eye? You know, you don't know. And then once I found out, fortunately for me, uh, it was something treatable. You know, my retina detached, so they were able to reattach it. But, you know, I just remember that feeling of being blind in that eye. It was just, you know, and that was only one eye. You know, imagine both eyes all the way. But it says immediately God did that. There was no in-between time. And I guarantee you this, Paul would have never done that if he didn't know God was going to come through for him. You know what? Paul would have never tried to make that claim on his own. But the Holy Spirit led him what to do. The Holy Spirit led him there. And then the Holy Spirit led him. And you know what? I believe that, you know, it doesn't mention a bunch of people getting saved from, from this part of the story. So I believe God literally sent them both there to talk to that one specific man because he was ready. See, God will do what it takes. When you have somebody that's ready to receive Christ and really wants to hear the truth, um, God will send somebody to that person to give them truth if they're honestly seeking the truth. 
You know, I remember Brother, uh, Brother Joseph, our mission, the one that he's passed away now, but he was our missionary to, uh, in India. He was from India. And his son now, Joseph, took over the ministry there. But I remember him telling me, we were, I got to drive him around some when he was here in the States to some different meetings. And I remember him telling me, he says, you know, I, I, I was a, he was a policeman in India. And he kept trying to find the truth. So he says, I read, somebody gave me the, you know, I don't know all the religious books, but they gave him different religious books that said, here, this will help you, this will help you. And he says, I couldn't find the truth, but I knew what, after I read what they pointed that it was the wrong thing. He goes, I don't know how I knew, but I knew that that was wrong. And then finally, somebody gave him a Bible. He read the Bible, and because of reading the Bible and what it said in there, he realized the Holy Spirit opened his eyes to see that was the truth, and he trusted Christ as his Savior. And so, again, if you're hungry for it, uh, he will, you, you know, God will provide a way to get that to you. And sometimes when you don't even know you want it, I mean, you know, when my Awana leader asked me if I knew I was going to heaven, you know, I didn't go to Awanas that night to go to heaven, to, to, to know for sure I was going to heaven. I went to play games and eat the food and have a good time with my friends. But that Awana leader knew the Holy Spirit led him to talk to me about the Lord and the, 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 they knew my heart was ready that night. See, and same thing here. Oh, um, Paul knows he's ready and so he, they blind this guy that's causing all the problem. And then we see the victory. In verse number 12 here, it says, Then the deputy, when he saw what was done, believed, being astonished at the doctrine of the Lord. Now, this verse is so quick, if you don't take the time to kind of really take an intense look at it, you miss all the blessings of God in the impossible. We are asking God to do the impossible with pastor. It's not impossible, but you know what I mean? We're asking, we can't do anything to, to, to heal him, we, us personally. So we're asking God to put his hand on him, to touch him and bring him back to us whole. And all these other people that we're praying for too, we're praying you know, for different people for different things. But we're asking for something. You know, I've said this a couple times in the last few weeks. When there's nothing else we can do, that's right where God does his best work. It's right where God... You know, we're right where God wants us. When we're we no longer, none of our ideas are going to work. We've tried everything we can do. No, nothing else is going to work. We know it has to come from God. And you know what? When you get in that position, nine times out of ten, you can't see the light at the end of the tunnel like they talk about. But you know what? There's been a few times in my life where I've been in that position and I've actually thought to myself, I still don't understand it. I don't know how God's going to solve it, but I can't wait to see what he does. I don't know if you've ever had a few moments like that in your life. I mean, a lot of times when you're in it, you can't see it. But I just remember a couple times in my life just going, I don't know how God's going to do this, but it's going to be spectacular when he does it. It's going to be just come from behind. He's going to do something just tremendous. Uh, you know, and I've, I've seen it with some people that have gotten saved that I didn't think would get saved. I've seen him solve some of my personal problems in ways that I never saw coming, you know, and just different things. But it says, then the deputy, okay, remember, really, if you look at these verses, most of the passage is about the sorcerer. But do you see, as soon as they blind the sorcerer, look what it says, the deputy, when he saw what was done, in other words, he saw Paul rebuke that man for getting in the way of him speaking, the, you know, of them speaking the gospel, and then he saw the man be blinded, by Paul, and then he, he saw that, 
And it says, when he saw what was done, he believed, that means he got saved. And then it says, being astonished at the doctrine of the Lord. You know, doctrine is just a fancy name for believing what this book says. For the Christian, this is doctrine. Everybody has a doctrine they live by, saved or unsaved. An unsaved person has a doctrine too, it's just not this book. So when we say doctrine, it's our belief system. Our belief system as Christians is based on what God says. And so when we look at that, when we look at what God says here, this guy believed, but you know what? He was ready long before that. Back in verse 7, it says he desired to hear the word of God. See, he was already ready. In fact, I believe personally, without him even having the, 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 the sorcerer blinded, I think he would have come to know the Lord anyway. But you know what? Didn't God, just like when God revealed himself to Paul, you think about it. Mike talked about this a little bit. On the road to Damascus, it's the middle of the day, but there's such a bright light shines from heaven in the middle of the day that all the men fall to the ground and they hear a voice, but they don't see anyone. But there's, you, know, you think of a bright light at night, you pay attention to it. A bright light in the day, there's not, I can't think of very many times in my life when there was a huge bright light in the day if it wasn't like an explosion or a lightning flash or something like that. You know, but you just think about it in the middle of the day. So then here, you know, when it says he, he believed he was being, but notice it doesn't say he was astonished. It doesn't say he was astonished at the man going blind. It says he was astonished at the doctrine of the Lord, the teaching of God. You know what that means? He's astonished at that. Hearing that God loved him so much, he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die for his sins on the cross. You know, that God knows me completely and still loves me is a miracle every day. It's a miracle every day. I don't deserve to be loved. I'm a sinner. I'm guilty. I know I deserve hell. But God, through sending Christ and dying on the cross for me, I get a home in heaven that I don't deserve. I don't know about you, but in life, I mean, salvation is obviously the greatest, but there's a lot of times I got things in life that I didn't deserve, you know? You know and, and I think about, think about the family you have, your family. You know, I, I know people that would love to have the family dynamic you have because there's many people that their, their families are just beyond repair. And you know what, we all have... We all have some family that we have conflict with and stuff like that, but I mean, I'm talking about the immediately family that you hang out with, whether it be your husband or wife or your kids or whoever. When you have that, you have something just so special that we think everybody has it. They don't all have it. And, uh, and you know, you just think about the different miracles. But this, this deputy, this, this man, Sergius Paulus, he accepts Christ right here. And you know what? Then they move on. If you look, I didn't put verse 13 in here, but they, they, Paul and his company loosed from Paphos. They went to another place. But see, we only have record of one person hearing the gospel, one person getting saved, but yet it was important for God to send them there. And if you think about it, there were three people sent to, to get him saved. There was Paul, there was Barnabas, and then it says in verse 5 that John was there too. So that's like overkill, right? Three to get the job done. But you know what? Paul does all the talking, really. But, but here, uh, the, this man becomes a believer. So God obviously sent him that way for that purpose. And then, uh, remember how we started? We said all things are possible with God. Look at the, this very short verse and we'll be done. It's Luke 1.37. For with God, nothing shall be impossible. Nothing. You know, uh, a former pastor used to say, 
say this. He'd say, when the Bible says stuff, we need to just take it at, value, at face value because God's going to tell the truth. He used to say, every time the word all was in there, and I'm sure he wasn't the first one to come up with this because I've heard other pastors say it, but he'd say, all means all, and that's all it means. When the Bible says, you know, uh, wishing that all should come to repentance, for example, that means everybody. You don't have to read in between the lines. All means all. And I think that with this word, nothing shall be impossible. See, in our mind as a human, we see certain situations and we say, that's impossible. That's impossible. You know, let's, let's rewind to like um, six, seven months ago, whenever that was, when we started school. Um, Brittany, Pastor, and I, we had, a lot of, we had a lot of nights where we thought, man, are we going to even be able to open? And then I remember thinking, man, if we can't open, 30 people are going to be laid off, lose their jobs, they're going to have to go find other jobs. I remember if we can't have school, we can't share the gospel with these kids on a daily basis, and so on and so on and so on. And then I remember... We, were, we, were, we had to push back our date because of the, the county announced they were going to give waivers, and so we pushed back our date. And I remember, I remember thinking, and then as we got close to that date, nothing was happening. And so I remember thinking, oh man, we are, we are not going to open. And then our enrollment, when we actually started school, we got, well, first of all, when, when we were trying to get the waiver, we were supposed to start September 8th, the day after Labor Day, on Thursday, Brittany gets the notification that the county passed our, um, our thing. And it was late Thursday. I don't think it was early. I think it was pretty late in the day. And I remember, okay, they said, you, we have approved you, but you can't open until the state approves you. Okay, this is, the next day is going to be Friday. It's the Friday of a, of a holiday weekend. It's Labor Day weekend. And the state never moves fast on anything. And so I'm thinking... You know, in my mind, I'm no joke. This is exactly how I felt in the flesh. I thought, there is, it's impossible we're not going to open on Tuesday. It's impossible. We're going to have to push the date back again. Even though we have county approval, we're going to have to push it back at least a week till we get state approval. And, and I don't know if my jaw literally fell open, but when Brittany walked in on Friday, and I think it was in the morning when you heard from the state, I remember her telling me, the state approved what the county presented to them already. We're, 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 we're there to open. She told me and pastor that, and I remember just being literally just astonished. I just, I just couldn't fathom it. I said, and you know what I immediately my mind went to? Only God could have done that. Only God could even get us open, and then only God could get us uh, to get, could get the state to work that fast on a holiday weekend. I mean, half the people probably weren't even in the office on that Friday with it being a holiday weekend or you know, they're thinking about getting out on, you know, getting out for three days or whatever. But, you know, just what a miracle. And you know what? We started with 265 students, which was below last year. Last year we finished with 285. But, you know, because the, as soon as Banning and Beaumont announced they weren't going to open their schools this year, our enrollment went from 265 to 320 within a matter of, I don't know how long it was. It seemed like a really short time, but I'm sure it took a little bit. But, you know, some of these kids that came over because the schools were closed, they don't go to church. They've never heard a clear presentation of the gospel. And God's allowed us to give the gospel to these. Now, mind you, the public school will open again. And when they do, we may lose some of those kids. But you know what? For all this time now through the school year, every day our first class of the day is Bible. So for every day since they've been here, they get to hear the word of God. And, you know, I think about, as I was reading this, about this deputy desiring to hear the word of God. 
these kids probably didn't come here desire, those particular kids didn't come here to desiring to hear the word of God. They became, their parents brought them here because a school was open. But you know what? Many of those kids, and we saw it especially the week before Valentine's Day, we had special chapels. Many of those kids responded to the Lord, and many of our kids that were already here responded to the Lord. And you know what? God was able to work that out in a way that to man it was impossible. But it was, you know, and the only reason I share that particular story is that's, a, that's one of those stories I'm talking about where as human beings, you know, Brittany did everything she could. She dotted the T's, uh, no, dotted the I's, sorry. Crossed the T's, dotted the I's. But, you know, she had all the reports in. And as soon as she'd get a report, a report in, they would say, no, you have to put this in. No, you have to put this in. But, you know, we just kept going because God kept, you know, pushing, you know, giving us an avenue to, to do that. And, you know, in our church, we've seen the same thing. You know, we can't forget our school is a ministry of our church. It's not a separate entity. It's a ministry of our church. So it's just like we have the, you know, we have the nursery, we have the bus ministry, we have all these different ministries, ladies' ministry. The school is a ministry of our church. And so when God did that for the school, he literally did it for the church. But, you know, that's just one example of when we say it's uh, impossible, but for God, you've got to take that word nothing at face value. Nothing is impossible for God. Nothing. I'll say, well, that's too hard for God. No, it says nothing. Well, this over here is too hard for God. No, it says nothing. Now, it's too hard for us. We can't figure out. You ever had a problem you just cannot figure out how to solve? You have no way to do it? You know, if I, if I get a bill dropped in my lap that says I owe $1,000 tomorrow, I don't know where I'm going to get $1,000. But, you know, God could get $1,000. He owns everything, right? And so, you know, I don't have a bill for that, by the way. Uh, if you want to send offering, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but, um, but, you know, but God can work. So don't, don't give up. All things are possible with him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the word of God. Thank you for this story that you just kind of slip in here in the New Testament. Uh, just a, you know, there's many other stories about Paul and, the, and Barnabas and missionary things and, and bigger things. But you know, you took time to put in the word of God how important one person is to you. And Lord, we talk about uh, the parable that you taught where if one, if one sheep was lost, you'd leave the 99 and go find the one sheep. And I see, you, I see the importance of one person in your eyes. And Lord, help one person to be important in our eyes also. You know, everybody needs the gospel. Everybody needs the truth. And Lord, help us to just trust you for the impossible. Again, we lift up our, our pastor before you. We praise you. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, good night.